Hey everyone, welcome back to Free Me Podcast. Peace and love, I hope everybody's day is, is blessed, man, and everybody's at ease, man. I know today, being election day, everybody's wired one way or the other, man. You know, so hopefully this this little discussion that I got for you today will help help ease some of that tension, man. Take take your mind off some things. So today's discussion, I got Brian Crockett. Mr. Brian, he's out of the, the New England area, Massachusetts, and he deals with he deals with drug and alcohol um, addiction behavioral sciences, things of that nature. He has a master's in, in theology as well. And to top it off, the man is a poet. So if you like poetry and you like the discussion, you may want to go to Amazon and, and give him a uh, you know give him a look. He has a book called Out of the Dark. So check him out man. Give him some some support. Give him some love. So today's discussion was very, very important. We deal a lot again with, with mental health and trauma as a child and how it just goes unchecked and unrealized and and again the purpose of this message is is really for my young adults my young parents that don't know how to deal with situations you know so please yeah just just listen up to the conversation and 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 learn from it man and if you have questions get back with me and i'll leave a link on how to email Brian if, if you have some questions for him as well. So before we get into discussion, I just want to give my boys a shout out. Make sure you check out their shows and what they got going on. So you got Mike with Cell Life. You have Sean with Nowhere to Go But Up. And you have Josh with DOC TV 813. So make sure to look up you know, each of those individuals and check out what they got going. Especially if you like the discussions that that I have going on because we all talk about the same thing just from a different angle. So check them out, man. Also, I do want to give a shout out to my listeners because y'all are growing and y'all are supporting me, you know, so I, I much love, man. I never thought that anybody would, you know, care about anything that I had to say for real. So much love, man. You know, I got people in the UK. I got people in Canada, Ireland, Philippines. India, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico's in my bloodline, that's my baby girl, so much love to Puerto Rico, thank you, Spain, Czech, and also Jamaica, beautiful, beautiful Jamaica, I was just in Jamaica not too long ago, man, first time, beautiful country, so with that being said, those are all my shout outs, I want to say that I love you guys, man, please be safe, be smart, do not be emotional. Make the educated decision. Enjoy the conversation, man. Just be safe. I love you. Wear your mask. Hello, Brian. Hello. Hey, good sir. How are you? I am well. How are you doing today, Thomas? No, I'm doing okay. I'm. I'm actually. I'm actually rather relaxed considering everything going on today. <laughs> uh, well, I give you a lot of credit. That is that is a blessing to have uh, today of all days. Yeah, you know, here where I'm at, I'm, I'm here in Tampa, Florida, and you know, and it's, it's gorgeous outside. I went for a little ride this morning, just checking the temperature, you know, around, and uh, 
Yeah, you know, I, I feel rather serene. I mean, last night I was I was a little anxious, but I think everything's going to be okay, man. Either way it goes, I think I think everything's going to be okay, man. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're in a great mind space about it. <laughs> can we do? What yeah, else can we do? It's one of those things I had a friend mention to me before a couple of weeks ago that he's lived through I don't know how many presidents, and he said, you know, it makes a difference, but it doesn't really so dramatically impact my life as I'm afraid it sometimes will. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, that, that you know, we tend to start worrying about things that we don't even know, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. We just create so much angst, and we can we can just, just go off the hinge. But so, you know, I was just watching a, uh, a video with you at um ah what was the name the name was gordon gordon conwell yes yes yeah that was a very very interesting um interesting conversation yeah i was actually the second individual to speak the individual before me was the if i remember because that was a couple years ago was the chief of police of gloucester massachusetts Yep. I was um, privileged to share the sort of panel discussion with him. Gordon Conwell was where I got my master's degree. It's a seminary that tends to prepare people for ministry. They uh, invited me to participate in a small panel conversation about the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have your master's in what? Theology, actually. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I heard you talking about it and, and, and something that you said was 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 very, very good. I loved it. I loved when you said that counseling has is is kind of becoming, you know, the new the new chaplain, you know, the new church, because you know, these guys are coming and they're confessing and and, and they're opening their souls to us, you know. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. I have found a huge part of my work. And it might sound just kind of silly to say it, but a huge part of my work is, frankly, giving people time and space to be heard without necessarily being quick to offer feedback or a suggestion. Um, It seems like a lot of people are really helped by just having someone who can sit and listen and sort of be with them as they're processing and reflecting and thinking through, you know, whatever's on their mind. Well, that's the truth. If, if there's one thing going on today is too much talking and not enough listening, in my opinion. That is exceptionally well said. I mean, how often we see it on social media, on the news, people talking at each other, then talking past each other and then yelling because they feel like they're not being heard. It, I mean, I'm sure several wise men from ancient history said something like, if you want to be heard, then then you need to hear others. <laughs> well, the, the, the both, you know, I mean, scientifically speaking, they both don't work at the same time. Like your ears do not work when your mouth is moving, you mm-hmm. know, and that it's just what, you know, it, it's just common sense. Like sometimes you have to stop your mouth and, and let the thing soak in so you can understand exactly what the person is saying. Because a lot of times I have found in life, a lot of times two people will be saying the same thing, but just differently. And neither mm-hmm. one just wants to stop long enough just to understand what the other person is saying to see that they're both saying the same thing. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I've definitely seen that several times. So, mm-hmm. so what made you get into this line of work, Brian? Well, it's funny. I kind of fell into it. Um, I, I went to Gordon and I graduated in oh seven, I think it was with my master's in theology. Originally I went to seminary cause I wanted to do something in academia, like philosophy of religion or something like that. And as I was working on my master's degree, I got kind of sick of going to school and I didn't want to go get a PhD. So I tried to get uh, a job at sort of a, like a private school teaching religion or theology or something that didn't pan out. And six months later, I still needed a job after graduating. So I had seen this halfway house in Framingham, Massachusetts, looking for a case manager. And I had seen it before in my job search. It stuck in my mind because it was, I think, the kind of job I just never considered. But they were still looking for help. And the job description was basically about helping people, which I think looking back on it was what I wanted to, what attracted me to teaching in the first place. So I figured, well, I'll be hopefully helping to make the world maybe a slightly better place. So I I applied for the job. I got the position. Um, the halfway house at that point was doing pretty much entirely criminal justice reentry for people coming out of prison uh, with significant criminal justice involvement, trying to make their way back into the community. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was some addiction recovery going on there, but it wasn't the main thrust of the program at the time. And uh, moving on from there to different jobs and different positions, um, I found myself working more with people whose primary problem was addiction or addiction related. So I've been in the field for the past 13 years doing not the same thing, but certainly in the same field. What was your first encounter? Like, you know, somebody that was either overdosing or just experiencing, uh, you know, some sort of addiction. Do you remember your first encounter? That is a good question. I am not sure. No, that's not true. I was going to say, I'm not sure I've ever witnessed anybody overdosing, but I have a few times. I think. Ah. Jeez, that's a really good question. I don't know if it's because I've seen too few or I've seen too many. (laughs) I think my first time encountering someone with an addiction-related problem was at that position at the halfway house as a case manager. I was running an anger management group, and the person started talking about how substances affected their brain, affected their mood, affected their marriage. They're doing some really good reflection and sort of internal work in the group, and being young and fresh out of school and somewhat arrogant and thinking I knew more than I did, I didn't say anything, but I remember thinking things like, well, why didn't they just not use substances? Why didn't they just stop? Why didn't they just, you know, easy things for someone to say and ask when they have no clue what they're talking about. Um, Over time, with supervision uh, and additional clinical training, I learned one, to give the person space to talk and listen and to try to see things from their perspective. At the time, I I remember thinking it just sort of confusing and perplexing and what was the appeal in the first place if it was so destructive. And then, um, well, maybe five, six years ago now, I did some intensive training around trauma, especially developmental trauma, childhood trauma. And I was exposed to 
a lot of data that showed the correlation between significant childhood trauma and later on um, health issues later in life, including behavioral issues and addiction related issues. And it was, uh, it was staggering. It was one of those lightning bolt moments where everything I had experienced in the field and everything I had learned just seemed to come together. Am, am I actually answering your question or am I going off? No, you're, you're, you're right on point partner. And, I, and, I, and I'm on your every word because you know, what, what you're saying, I, I agree with 100%. And, and that's, I guess that's the premise of what my show is, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I'm an individual that that has uh, spent more time in college than out, and I like to call it college. Um, I, I, I don't have a scholarly education. Um, I, and, and as I say on my show, my only knowledge is my experience. Ever mm -hmm. since I was a child, um, you know, like my life has just been one long traumatic event. There's really never been any, you know, pauses in between. It's just been, you know, trauma after trauma, always, always around me. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn at a young age to pay attention to my environment very keenly, you know, and, and upon doing so, you know, I, I just learned how to read people, mm -hmm. you know, and I just became a people watcher and, and that's just, you know, just through my life's experiences and the places that I've been, because I've just been around psychopaths and sociopaths for most of my life, you know, just, just mental disorders have been constantly around me. Mm -hmm. And I just watch and I learn and, and I ask myself questions and, and, and just through this process, you know, I've just... I've come to the evolution after, and, and, and me, cause I'm so inquisitive. Like I'll go ask these people, you know, and they'll look at me crazy, you know, and I may go ask this person, like, you know, why did you just do what you just did? Like, what was you thinking when you did what you just did? Because to me, it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And they'll explain it to me or whatever. But so after doing this for so long, I just, and, and so many conversations, I just realized like all of these people, including myself, have childhood trauma, mm -hmm. you know, just mm -hmm. childhood trauma. And it doesn't even really have to be severe because I think today as a society, we think when we hear trauma, we think like severe abuse, mm -hmm. you know, like severe beatings, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and things like that. But we're, we're not, we're not recognizing the, you know, we're not connecting the dots that, Say, for instance, a child is sitting in, in the room with her mother and her mother's going through the closet and she's, you know, she's looking for these clothes and she's getting frustrated because her clothes don't fit because her husband is constantly saying that she's fat. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So now this little girl, after seeing that, she goes out here and she sits with her father and her father, you know, is sitting on the couch and he's watching TV and and he's remarking on women you know, how beautiful they are on the TV or whatnot. And the daughter seeing this uh -huh. and, 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 and right away it's, it's causing a disconnect for me. I mean, you can always correct me if I'm wrong, you know, but to me, it's like causing a disconnect within this child and it's creating confusion, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. and then, and then this stuff is never, it's never reconciled. And the child has to grow up trying to understand you know, these multitudes of, of, of scenarios, like I just described, you know, and it just, our kids are just growing up confused and lost. It just seems to me. 
I think that is exceptionally well said. There's, um, I, I, I totally agree with you. There's, there's a sense in which we, we tend to think of trauma as, as something catastrophic, something horrific, house burned down, um, violent crime, that sort of thing. But we don't always see sort of the, uh, the death of a thousand cuts traumas, you know, so take your example, right? So let's say, very well thank you. And I, I love that word disconnect too, because that girl say growing up, let's say she has a few experiences like that between witnessing the, the interaction with the mom and the dad and, and uh, body shaming and weight shaming uh, sort of going on between the two of them. And let's say the daughter goes to school and someone makes a snide remark, teasing her about her weight. Mm-hmm. And then because it's already sort of in her mind that may hit a little deeper and stick a little longer than it would to someone else, or if her parents hadn't been having that kind of conflict, and then potentially is she seeing the strife grow between mom and dad, even if it's not necessarily overt, the snide comments, the the the, the pregnant silence at the dinner table, the the irritability, the the walking on eggshells, um, all mm-hmm. that adds up too. And um, even if even if only biochemically, because all those experiences secrete. Um, I think it's cortisol. I'm not entirely, I don't remember all my neuroscience, but that stuff over time uh, can cause inflammation and all a host of inflammation related issues. Um, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, liver problems, stomach problems, heart problems. Never mind, you know, a diet that may be average in America, um, but still not necessarily that good. And when we're stressed, we tend to veer towards feel-good behaviors anyway because we don't feel good on the inside. So we're more likely to look for the comfort burger, the pint of ice cream, uh, the cigarette, the the drink, whatever it is that will just make us feel better for some time. And we wouldn't necessarily even articulate it like that if we're in it. If to us, it's normal especially if we grew up in it, because, I mean, it's like asking the fish, how's the water? Assuming, you know, the fish could talk, well, well what water? This is just reality. I don't know right. how many times I've worked with people and when childhood comes up, how many times they've told me, you know, that, you know, we didn't, I didn't think anything of it then because it was, I mean, literally they would say, that's just the way it was. That was, that was our family culture. Well, see, and, and here again, this is what I was explaining. I don't know if you had caught any of the previous shows, but I was explaining to um, a, a couple individuals that that I'm actually speaking with. Um, you know, Cynthia, Cynthia and I were, were talking one day. Are, are you are you from you're familiar with Cynthia? Of course, oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Cynthia's great. People. Yeah, so <laughs> so I, I don't know how much she's informed you about what is going on with me. Has she talked to you about me at all? Not really. No. I mean, it was, it was mentioned in passing, you know, your name and that you're doing this podcast and that um, she thought it might be helpful for us to connect, but. So, so what ended up happening is, is long story short, Cynthia, Cynthia and I are connected um, through a mutual group that we're trying to form called NAFJAR, which is national Alliance of justice and, and um, reentry. And, all of us have our own little foundations that we're doing in our, in our town. And, and we're just trying to make one national, uh, one national recognized coalition, you know, alliance for just reentry specifically for reentry. So 
long story short, Cynthia and I connected on a couple of ideas and she was describing to me about these two individuals that she was really having a, a hard time with. Um, I, and, and the way that I look at, at it, Brian, like I am these people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up in this environment. I grew up under trauma. You know, it doesn't matter. I, I've never, I've never been on drugs, you know, addicted to drugs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to that extent, I've never went through withdrawals. I've never went through the physical effects of what trauma does to you because I just had different outlets, you yes. know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I understand the pain that can get you there because I've been there. I just decided to go a different route. So like I, like I tell Cynthia, you know, I said, well, let me talk to these guys, you know, because I, I'm, I'm a pretty easy guy to talk to. So the first guy that I spoke with was Blake. So, of course, you know, I've never talked to this, to this guy before. He's never talked to me. We don't know anything about each other. The very first phone call of course, was on the show. I have it here in, in the episode. This guy opened up to me like you would not believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cynthia, she sent me texts like it's unbelievable that this guy opened up to you the way that he did, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then in the second time I asked Blake, you know, what what is it about me that that he opens up to? And one, it's the it's the relatability. It's the compassion. Mm-hmm. It's the relatability. It's him knowing that I'm not making any money off it, so I'm not just sitting here just listening to him because I'm getting paid to, right? So, right. So it it's the it's the care that he knows is there, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 second, it's it's because he he feels, you know, that that I can I can understand what he's saying, and there was another gentleman that you know, pretty much echoed the same thing that he says. And, and, and I get this a lot from a lot of individuals because again, Brian, I understand. And I don't judge anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to judge anybody or look at anybody and say, what you're doing is, is wrong. And, and you just need to change that, you know, or just stop. Like you said, that's the worst thing that you can say to these people, right? you know, cause you have no idea the, the demons that are clawing, inside of these people for you just to say, well, just stop mm-hmm. and just, you know, pick up another habit and go do something else. You know, I think when we do that, um, when we do that to anybody, right, we, we have that kind of minimalizing dismissive attitude that comes across loud and clear, regardless of the specific words we're using. And for someone who's struggling they're already tacked. Even if it's just in a moment, they feel stressed, they feel taxed, they feel overwhelmed, they feel angry. To have someone come along and sort of Monday morning quarterback their response, it is never helpful. And not only that, if someone is in that kind of mood mind state in that moment that's contributed to by past or even current traumas, then all we do is we heap, we heap shame on the individual. And trauma is shaming in and of itself. Um, and that, that connects to what you were saying, you know, the gentleman who opened up to you because there was connection and there was respect and he knew that you weren't profiting off of this. It was one human being connecting with another human being out of empathy and compassion because the other person was there and they're human and they're valuable. And that kind of thing communicates dignity. It communicates essential worth that people, I think probably almost all people, certainly a lot of people and especially people with trauma. Um, they don't necessarily have that perspective on themselves. 
and they don't necessarily experience that about themselves. So I'm I'm sorry I missed that episode. I'll have to go back and watch it. But it sounds like that this individual had a well a healing ish experience on your on your show. That's phenomenal. I give you a lot of credit. Yeah, the, the title of that episode is called um, "Hi, I'm Hi, I'm Blake." Mm-hmm. Um, but but absolutely, and 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 I did a I actually yesterday just did another episode with him. Um, Blake Blake has Blake has got some issues, and and when you listen, you'll I'm sure you'll know exactly what those issues are, you know, and and that's the thing. I, I guess you know, Brian. I guess for me, like my I guess my intuitiveness into it is is like I just want to understand how this disconnect happens. You know, where where I was at, I was surrounded by a lot of pedophiles. Mm-hmm. You know, and and at first, I had a lot of anger towards them, right? And 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 at first, it was always just uh, it was open market on them. Mm-hmm. You know, they, these guys would come in, the guards would tip off the the inmates on the inside, oh, yeah. and they would just turn their back. You know, and. And at first, you know, I was making excuses to to be violent, you know, and and then I just started realizing, like, I'm I'm just as sick as they are, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm I'm finding an excuse to release whatever anger I have in me, you know, and and that made me take a step back and 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 again self analyze myself. And and what makes their trauma any different than mine? Because they chose a different outlet than what I did. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And I and then I just started talking to these guys, and I just started asking them questions. And and then again, that that was I, I became you know uh, more humble in that aspect because again, trauma is trauma is trauma, you know and. Let me let me ask you this: How many individuals do you think today walking around have trauma that they don't even know exists within them? It's a great question. Um, the latest data I saw on the facilitation of the Adverse Childhood Experience ACE ACE survey, which is it's ten yes or no questions about stuff that happened at home before the ages uh, before the age of eighteen. Yes, no questions about traumatic uh, experiences. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, it was definitely over 50% reported at least one. Now, of the at least one traumatic experience, at least one, which and at least one can have a significant impact on future behavioral, mental, psychological and physical health. Obviously, the more that there are, the more those things will tend to be compromised uh, later in life. Well, even in the moment, too. But of the percentage who didn't report one, I sometimes wonder, was it like that fish and water scenario again? Well, they just didn't see it as traumatic because that's just how it was. That was normal. That's how things were done. Um, I don't know. Now, I don't want to be cynical either and say no one has that kind of, you know, we say it dismissively like a leave it to beaver, two and a half kids, dog and white picket fence background. You know, no one has that. I would imagine some people do. Um in terms of a hard percentage, I couldn't say, but but I have no problem believing that over half, probably significantly over uh, people have experienced some challenges that were very serious in their home, even if they were never talked about. Uh, that that sort of 
well, I was going to say kinetic energy, but that's not right. This Things that we don't address, it comes out sideways, either because we're walking on eggshells or it comes out in depression or anxiety because we're stuffing things, we're avoiding things, we're hypervigilant. So it has an effect regardless of whether it's actually known what it, the problem or problems are or not. But I, I would say well over half. Um, well over half. So, so let me ask you this. How do you deal with that trauma? As a parent, you know, and I, and I find out that, that my child, you know, was outside playing, I thought, and then, you know, the whole time that I thought my child was outside playing, uh, they were involved in a, in a, you know, some sort of neighborhood pedophilia uh, circle going mm. on. How do I, as a parent, mm. deal with that with my child when all I really want to do is just not even talk about it and just make it go away? Well, that so in many ways, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, and there's so many potential places to begin with that. I think where to start in this kind of situation you describe, uh, I think my suggestion for the starting point would be to not blame yourself. I think when it comes to these kinds of things, uh, we are very quick. And very kind of a broad general we like culturally societally wherever we're quick to want to lay blame figure out who's wrong and administer punishment um and frankly if i were a parent and that happened to my kid in the kind of situation you described i would be punishing myself so much already that i don't think i would need someone to say wow brian way, way to be a dad or where the hell were you or what's wrong with you or that kind of thing. I would be telling myself that a hundred thousand times a day with I'm sure all kinds of anxiety and depression and guilt and shame issues. So I think the very first step would be not to castigate myself. It, it doesn't mean that I don't take appropriate responsibility if there was something I should have been doing and maybe I, I wasn't or whatever, but once it's really hard to step into a situation if we're not in some semblance of balance or control. I wouldn't expect anyone to be perfectly calm who is walking out of a situation like that. But if if I'm not even remotely self-regulated, self-controlled, I, I can't be of much use to anyone else. It's kind of like if you're on a plane and the masks drop and they say, help put on your mask before you help someone else with right. theirs. It's going to take me time to get completely, quote unquote, right with a situation like that. But I got to make sure that at least my, my basics are in place, that, that I can talk coherently, that I'm not going to detonate on my kid and blame them. That I'm not going to look at my kid as some like horrible disease, damaged goods, whatever kind of you know horrible words we might use. Uh, and the more the more self-controlled I can be through therapy, through mindfulness, through prayer, uh, through acceptance, through talking with people, good friends and family who are not going to judge me and can be there for me and walk through this with me. Those things come first, because otherwise I'm way more likely to blow up on my kid or the perpetrator or the community in a way that is not helpful. Does that make no, sense? That does. That makes perfect sense. So, and you're more than welcome, Brian. You're more than welcome to ask me questions if you want to know anything about me. I mean, this is an open discussion. You know, I'm I'm here to learn as well, and 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 I want my listeners to want learn. You know, 
also. So, but on the flip side, well, I appreciate. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is just an open discussion, you know. Um, on the flip side, real quick. Now, if if that child that was involved, let's say, in that 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 you know pedophilia ring going on in the neighborhood, how would that child grow up? if that trauma was never visited, if it was never talked about, it was just swept under the rug and not dealt with. What kind of personality would that child grow up with? It's hard to say definitively because um, we all respond differently. We, we respond differently to the same thing. You know, individuals respond differently to the same experience all the time. Yes. Um, but speaking in generalities, I think I would say that if, if, and the clue being like you've, or the significant part for the example you just relayed, Thomas, being that, you know, it was never addressed. I would imagine that there's a fair amount of shame around what happened. What does that mean? Well, the person is going to, because when we feel ashamed, we don't want to be seen. We don't want to be talked to. The voice of shame says, dear God, do not look at me. So I would imagine the person will experience a significant sense of shame around uh, sexuality um, around themselves, um, body image, potential issues, they're probably going to be suffering from significant levels of anxiety because they have, it has just been catastrophically demonstrated to them that their world is not safe. And they will probably not feel safe again for some time. Mm that will lead or contribute probably to significant bouts of depression because all that anxiety requires energy. Um, and then eventually there will be crashes. So the person is probably going to ping back and forth between anxiety and depression. It's a child situation you're discussing. So I would imagine there's also going to be a fair amount of not only anger, but rage, which is the natural response to uh, feeling hurt and injured. Um, and because the individual is a child, and because of the shame issue, articulating that is going to be exceptionally challenging and people may not believe them. And because it's shameful, they don't want to talk or think about it anyway. So you're probably going to see someone who has a hard time focusing in school, paying attention at home um, when they're with their friends. It might be similar, too. So they may experience some mild social ostracization because they may be because they might be in their head a lot or feeling disconnected they may be somewhat offbeat when it comes to like social interactions and social norms um they're probably going to have a hard time studying because they're going to have a hard time focusing because they're anxious and depressed um and at the same time things that we tend to suppress whether out of shame or guilt or whatever um they also can become obsessions so the person may develop their own challenges around pornography prostitution um god forbid they, they may even find themselves drifting into not all the time certainly but they may find themselves drifting into behaviors that were done to them mm -hmm. um i spent a brief amount of time working with paroled sex offenders and in my experience although it was a brief experience and i didn't work with many individuals um i found that most of them had experienced an incident like that themselves in, in their childhood. Um, but that leads me back actually to a question I wanted to ask you, Thomas, because I really appreciate what you said about um, 
you know, encountering these individuals and it being sort of given the green light, like, oh, this is an acceptable target for violence. Um, and you taking a step back to sort of look at that, I, I, I give you a ton of respect and credit for doing that kind of rigorous self-worth, uh, self-work, excuse me. What prompted you to do that in the first place, though? What prompted you to say, you know what? I need to take a look at this. Oh, that's a very good question. You know, it, it was, it was, uh, it was, I was tired, you know, uh, by this time I'm, 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 I'm moving into, my goodness, I'm my, I'm my late twenties, early thirties now. Um, of course, mm-hmm. I'm inside. I have a, a, a very lengthy sentence. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the switch for me, Brian, the ultimate switch for me was my child, you know, um, and and mm. I and I repeat this story so many times because for me it was it, it was it was a rebirth, you know, um, and it was just one day in visitation, you know, uh, just to set the scene up, you know, my my mother's at that time was probably sixty seven, sixty eight. She's she, my mother's alone, so she had to travel by herself. I left my mm-hmm. daughter when she was six months old. My daughter was probably about three years old at this time. My mother mm-hmm. had to drive five hours to come see me with this young child and wait in a line for an hour and a half to get inside. A lot of times she would have the wrong article of clothing on and they'd make her turn around. She'd have to go change, come back. All of this is with an impatient little three-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then she would come in. The visitation would be about five hours. She would sit through visitation and, and this would go on at least once a month or every couple months. And it just started to wear on me because I could see the effect that it's having on my people. And, yeah. and the anger that was inside of me was building so much, Brian, that I, it was, it was, it was becoming uncontainable, you know, and, and I, and I've, and I'm, I'm around people that have been down, you know, gone 15, 20 years of, out of society. And I see what it, what this has done to these people, you know, it just, it just, I mean, institutionalized isn't the word, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, I, I don't even know how to explain it. it. You know, it's, it's, it's just, they've succumbed. They've succumbed to this environment of, of just complete ignorance, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing this around me and I'm like, this isn't what I wanted my life to be. This isn't me. This right. isn't me. I don't belong here. And, and I still wasn't figuring it out and I'm still building anger, building anger. So there's one day my daughter, she's, you know, she's where she's going to leave and the problems at home, you know, between her mother and I, um, just, just every, cause this is three years going in now. So everything's mm-hmm. starting to fall. My world is starting to fall apart. You know, my, my glass world that I thought that I had, you know, and mm-hmm. and I I, I I I snapped, you know, and, and my daughter's she's clawing at my clothes and I, I grabbed her arms and I pulled her off me and I just tell my mom, just go, you know. And and I go back to my to my room, I throw the towel up over the door, I go in, and Brian, I swear to you, partner, I beat the shit out of myself. I'm hitting mm-hmm. myself, I'm hitting the walls. I'm hurt. I'm trying to do everything that I can to hurt myself because I was so mad, you know, and, and, and at that moment I was doing that because I realized that all of this is my friggin' fault. This is all mm-hmm. my fault. It's all my fault. Look what I'm doing to my people. 
you know mm-hmm. look what i've done to them you know it's just and in, in, in that moment of clarity i i i released everything that i had inside of me you know and 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 i was exhausted physically mentally spiritually i was just drained everything was out of me you know and like i i explained to blake because blake asked me the same question you asked me in a, in a similar in a similar fashion you know he's like well how did you do it and like i explained to him you know in that moment i said you know what what is it that i don't like about myself what is it that I'm so angry about myself or so scared of myself, you know? And I just started rattling things off. You know, I'm, I'm ugly. I, my ears messed up. You know, I'm, I'm stupid. I can't ever do things right. I lie. I cheat. I manipulate just everything that I didn't like about myself that I always knew was in me, but I never admitted. Mm-hmm. You know? So, okay. Now I say, all right. That's the truth. That's what I really don't like about me. Okay, what do I like? And and I had to think for one thing. You know, of course, I started rattling it off a bunch of things, but but I'm questioning those things. You know, of course, the first thing I say is, okay, well, I'm a good person. Okay, well, if I'm a good person, why am I in prison? Mm-hmm. Why are why are so many people around me hurt? You know, so I'm not a good person. But but I do want to be a good person. So that's better mm-hmm. for me to say. So I just went through this process until I found like a common ground, you know, and 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 that common ground was I care. I knew without a doubt that I cared about human beings. I cared about people. I cared. And that's where I started from, man. And And I just built from there. You know, I stopped reading fiction. I stopped watching movies. I started picking up biographies. I started picking up, you know, uh, just any nonfiction that I could pick up until I got into the metaphysical realm, you know, and I started picking up literature in, in, into that realm. And then that that was a whole, I mean, that was a cataclysmic uh, shift for me. You know, mm-hmm. that just shifted everything when I got into to the metaphysical. And the secret is what set that off the secret when I watched that the first time, but that was it. It was that self-analysis that, that just triggered within me. And from that moment, when I, when I was doing things, I would ask myself, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, why am I doing this? Why am I hurting this man? This man didn't do anything to me or my child. He didn't do anything to me personally. You know, Mm -hmm. why am I inflicting on this? Because I don't, I hate what, what his 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 ideal is i hate what his his um his escape has become i guess mm-hmm. you could say but that doesn't make it any different from what my escape was i was my escape was just as violent i was hurting people you know and and it was just that thought process of within that 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 did it and it all started with my daughter because at the end of the day i want my daughter to say you know what i'm proud of my dad you know my dad came home he made mistakes but he is a good guy and mm-hmm. he is doing things to to repair what he's done you know i that is a that's a beautiful answer and not only do i give you credit for your honesty but i give you credit for uh doing that kind of self-work i i forget who said it um 
but someone said that the surest way to go to hell is to try to avoid going to hell. And when it comes to doing that kind of self-work, I find personally and professionally, many people are often resistant. Heck, I'm resistant sometimes because I, I think sometimes we have this suspicion. It's it's like we kind of look at it like poking around a sewer. It's dark, smells funny, it's kind of creepy, and you don't really know what's in there. So why would I do this? In in some ways, it's it's easier, it's simpler to see things outside and react to what's outside of us rather than taking some time to look inside and then we can respond to what's inside and then we can respond to what's outside rather than reacting to it. But, but why is that, Brian? Why, why, why is it easier for me to, to look at you and point out what you're doing wrong knowing that I'm doing the same exact thing why is it easier for me to point out your fault, knowing I have the same fault? I mean, that, that's a profound question. And I mean, that's the kind of question metaphysicists and religions have been, you know, trying to ask what well, I've been asking and answer, trying to answer for for well, probably since there were those concepts. Um, I don't know for, for what for me, I mean, for what it's worth and for what it comes down to, it's it's easier. It's simpler to do that than it is to take responsibility and to look inside. It's more effort to look inside. It's more effort to control myself. It's more effort to ask myself, why am I thinking this? Why am I feeling that? And, and I don't think we always necessarily like the potential moral implications of some of that behavior has for us. You put it beautifully and succinctly when you were sharing just now about being in that cell and that, you know, what do I like about myself? Which one I give you credit for, for asking and, and doing the balanced approach. And you said, well, I'm a good person, but then you questioned that with your behavior. Well, I guess I'm not a good person. I think many people would be very, very uncomfortable to come face to face with the potential fact that they may not be as good a person morally as they think they are. And that's okay. Yes. You know, and, and, and that's like I tell Blake and I tell it, you know, and, and it's okay. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm, I'm fucked up, you know, <laughs> but, but I, because, because, because then that, that, that's what creates change. Yes. You know, then you have to say after that, but I don't want to be this way. So let me do what I have to do in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's, it's, it's like you say, Brian, and, and I, and I, see this in today's society everywhere mm-hmm. and i think i think it is so pernicious to our culture because what's happening is it's making us so sensitive because i would rather create laws to stop you from hurting my feelings than for me just to ask myself why are you hurting my feelings you know what i mean yes like it, it's it's okay you, you, you call me an asshole. Okay. Am I an asshole? I'm not an asshole. So therefore it doesn't bother me. Right. But if it does bother me, then I have to question, well, why does it bother me? There's something there that's, that's saying, well, you know what? I know I have those type of ways, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it's, it's, it's just self-reflection, but, but you're absolutely correct, man. I think it's because of the laziness and, 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 Nobody has time anymore. We have constant distractions around us from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep. We have no time 
for self-focus or self-reflection because we're just constantly distracted. I totally agree with that. And we don't live in a culture or society that values that at all. We are we are the America runs on Duncan's. Give me my coffee. Let me get to work. Let me answer my phone. Let me send this text. Let me send this email. Let me go to this meeting. Let me pick up my kids. Let me go home. Let me make dinner. Let me drop off my kids. Let me do this and let me crash into bed. That's the kind of culture we are now. And uh, I forget, I, I think it was Benjamin Hoff. He wrote uh, The Tao of, of Winnie the Pooh, who I think he put it beautifully. He said, time saving devices, or no, what did he say? He said, time cannot be saved. It can only be spent. And when we look at a lot of our time saving devices, and I think more especially our relationship to them, because I don't think the technology is like bad or like evil in and of itself. But when we have the kind of relationship that we tend to have with our technology, our social media, et cetera, then we find ourselves putting a lot of time and effort and energy into those things rather than taking time to just sit. So like a couple of weeks ago, it was raining and I took some time. I hadn't done this in years and I had missed doing it. I took some time to just sit on my sofa and watch the rain hit the back door and listen to it. And it was just this very peaceful, grounding, calming moment. I wasn't especially stressed, but I had done that thing more often when I was younger and I missed it. Now, take everything you're talking about and apply it to prison. And you take people who have probably significant trauma in their background and you put them in that kind of environment where I mean, you're probably much more familiar with it than I am just based on what you've been so forthrightly sharing with me. Um, I've learned a fair amount just from what people have told me, but in an environment that, well, how would you describe the prison environment? Let me, let me start there. So for me, you know, because I guess, you know, I started at a very young age, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I started at 12 years old and, and, at 12 years old, I was already um, being uh, housed in, in state facilities, mm-hmm. you know, in and out. And it just didn't stop, you know, until and I ended up, you know, uh, running a 17 year sentence. Um, so I was never intimidated by it. I was never fearful of it, but I always knew I was in a dangerous situation, but I always knew that just, I guess, instinctually that as long as I was honest with myself and I was just a real person and I, and I showed respect, I would never have no issues. Mm-hmm. I never had problems inside. I'd never had problems with the guards. I never had problems with inmates. I got along with everybody. The only problems I had are ones that I created, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that just comes with learning the territory and, and and being as as they call you know a uh, uh, heart checked, you know, you're always going to have your your heart checked, or, you know, because you're in a very manipulative world. Right. So right away, as soon as you get on the compound, everybody wants to know who they can manipulate and who they mm-hmm. can't. But Brian, I can tell you that inside prison, there is no difference between inside prison and outside. There's no difference. Mm-hmm. The only difference is it's just more compressed, mm-hmm. right? 
It's just a microcosm. It's just a smaller area. And you're dealing with individuals that have proven um, to make emotional decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like to say, I really don't like to say individuals that have proven to be criminals because there's criminals everywhere. They just haven't been mm-hmm. caught. Yes, well said. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, so just because just because you have a select few of individuals that are behind the fence doesn't mean that they're any different from the individuals that's outside of the fence. And and that goes to show with what goes on with the mm-hmm. guards. You know, many of the guards are criminal. Mm-hmm. Many of the guards are psychopaths. Mm-hmm. And and like I say, the whole prison, the whole prison environment is is a is is a is a playground for for psychopaths, you know? And you, so you just know, you just know you're in this type of environment. You, you, it's hard to explain because to me, Brian, it, it was just life. Right. It was the same thing I was dealing with outside. And, and, and I guess that type of mentality helped me deal with that sentence, you know, and it made me start looking at prison in, in, a, in, a, in a completely different light because I started understanding that there's people out here in society that are in a deeper prison than mm-hmm. I am. You know, so it just became a mental state for me. So it's it's all just on how you look at it. It's it's all on how the individual is, is how their life experience was going into that type of environment. So taking that as an answer, and I respect that answer, Thomas. Um, and take an individual who had some significant trauma in their background and placing them in an environment that is, I think, as you said, highly manipulative and and also potentially very dangerous. Um, I would imagine, and obviously I'm speaking in very broad generalities, and I very much welcome your your thoughts and comments on this. I would imagine one of two things would tend to happen, and maybe I'm being overly simplistic. Either it appeals to, and well, appeals isn't a good word. It because someone who has a trauma history is, in some sense, used to being or perceiving danger. And if you put them in an environment where it is rather dangerous um, or potentially dangerous, they may acclimate very well by falling back on uh, their sort of familiarities with their trauma experiences, or maybe it might aggravate their trauma by feeding into something that's already very hard for them. So I guess in one sense, I'm wondering, like, does a person adapt very well, but does that adaptation then not serve them? when it's time for them to leave or does the individual not handle it well at all because they're already dealing with a fair amount of trauma. And this is just like a step too far. I mean, what, what do you think of that? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I, it's a very good question and I understood it fully. And, and, and I, I would say again, it has to come back to how that, that specific individual deals with, whatever trauma mm-hmm. it is, you know, just, just in my experience from what I understand and, and from what I've learned is when you come into prison, you're going to repeat the same behaviors that you were doing right. on the street until you recognize where those behaviors mm-hmm. are coming from. So it's not about the length of sentence. It's about getting to the individual's mind and, and showing them 
the decisions that they're making is based upon some trauma that has happened mm-hmm. in their life. Now, how they respond to that, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's instinctual, you know, it, it goes to, to the animal within that person. You know, it's, it's like I explained to my daughter, you know, the only thing that separates us as human beings from animals is, is just thought. We have the ability to think. And if you take away thought, all you have is instinct. Instinct is what's built upon the environment right. that you're in. You know, when you're in this environment for so long, you, you adapt instincts for that environment to, to learn how to survive, you know. So when, when you take away that thought and you're working off instinct, you know, which, which happens when, when, you know, and of course you can always correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you know, you, you know, but to me, when trauma is occurring, thought yep. shuts down. Right. You're not thinking in those moments. Mm-hmm. Adrenaline is pumping. You, you're you're just you're just working mm-hmm. off instinct. So it's in those moments. How do you react? You know, when you go to the animal kingdom, which I, I've I've, you know, unfortunately, you know, watch dogs fight, chickens fight, whatnot. When it comes to 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 to, you know, a fight to the death, potentially, because both creatures feel like they're they're in a mm-hmm. fight to the death. When they're in that sort of environment and that sort of trauma is going on, two things are going to occur. They're either going to to fight back with a with an animalistic rage, or they're just going to lay mm-hmm. down and die. And and that's exactly what they'll do. They'll just lay down and take whatever comes to them. So I've seen it on both ends. You know, again, like I say, that's that's what the heart check is. You know, when I it didn't happen to me until I went to a place called Beaumont. Now, when I get to Beaumont, um, Beaumont is, uh, it's titled Bloody Beaumont. Brian, how long do um, I have you for? So for another like five, 10 minutes, I think I could squeeze in. Okay. So I'll make this real brief so you can, so you can finish up. So, so I get the Beaumont and, and my heart check was the, 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 um, the nickname for this place mm-hmm. is called Bloody Beaumont. Right. And it, it is. It's mm-hmm. it's a war zone, you know, and it's it's deep in the heart of Texas. And so when I get there, I have several dudes that are made. They were made mm-hmm. to intimidate. That's what their role is. And these dudes were handpicked to greet people when they come in the door. So when I have these dudes come up to me, very, very intimidating, very scary tattoos, skulls all over their faces or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Very big guys. You know, and they ask me, what are you in here for? What are you doing here? So I have to give them a rundown of what I'm going through and they can see right through you. You know, they know what you're in there for already because nine times out of the 10, the guards have already tipped them off if, you know, I'm a child molester or if I'm a snitch or anything like that. So it's in those moments, again, where these people can read you and they can tell if you're scared. And if you're scared, they're going to turn you out. They're going to have you running weapons. They're going to have you doing everything because they know you have that lay down as what mm-hmm. they call it inside of you. You know, some people have the fight. It doesn't matter how many's in front of them. You're not going to punk me out. You know, you're just going to have to beat me down, kill me. And that see, and deep in my heart, I always knew that that'll never happen because mm-hmm. men respect men. If you stand up for yourself you know, and you show that you're not no punk, 
they'll leave you alone and they'll respect you and they'll make you one of theirs, you know? They just don't want punks. They don't want snitches. They don't want, as they say, soft people around them. But that's the experience. Are you familiar with uh, a guy named Robert Roten who works in Arizona and at least last I heard, and he does, or at least was doing work with the courts around trauma informed sentencing for people convicted in the criminal justice system. I'm not familiar with him um, at all, no. It may be, I mean, I couldn't put you in touch with him, uh, but uh, I would suggest, um, just in light of our conversation, his name popped into my mind. Uh, if you Google him, you could probably find him on LinkedIn um, or quite possibly just Google. I haven't looked for him, looked him up for some time. But Dr. Robert Roten, R-H-O-T-O-N, he may be uh, very much worthwhile to talk to, maybe even have on your show. I don't know. but Cool. I would love to have you on the show again, man, because there's there's so many more things that I, I really want to get into. You know, I, I had a I had a, a brainstorm today that I'm going to look into. You know, I'm sitting here thinking I'm driving home and I said, how can I reach kids that are just now starting to, to, to just cusp the idea of retaliation or rebellion? And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, high schools, they mm -hmm. have detention, right? right? None of these teachers want to stay after school to sit through That is a very good observation. Right? I would imagine that is true. Yes. What if I start a program right here? I have a high school right around the corner where I volunteer to do detention each day. And with these kids that come in, they have to sit here and listen to my lectures for an hour coming into <laughs> detention. Well, it's a striking idea and certainly worth exploring further. I mean, it would help you to have an influence on them. It would help them to maybe make some better decisions. Um, I think sometimes what happens, especially in a, a place like a school, although I've never worked in a school, but there's so much that goes on. I mean, there's the academic part. There's now there's COVID and quarantine related stuff. There's behavioral issues. There's parental issues and administrative issues that when it comes to stuff like this, which often starts to show itself, you know, if someone has trauma or whatever in challenging behavior in a school system that I imagine the administrators often don't know how to respond, how to respond effectively, what resources are available, if there even are any resources um, available. So for what it's worth, um, sounds like a good idea to me and definitely worth uh, investigating. We need, we need more. We need more. Yeah. We need more mentorship, uh, you know, mental mentorship in our schools. We need we need a SWAT team for the <laughs> medical. You know, uh, we were I was talking with somebody the other day, but we need some sort of SWAT team for EMS that when we have, you know, some sort of uh, uh, psychosis, um, incident going on in the neighborhood, the police aren't the first mm -hmm. to respond mm -hmm. to that. You know, it we have some sort of, uh, of tactical squad, some tactical EMS squad that knows how to deal specifically with all kinds of different psychoses and how to de-escalate those in those moments versus cops showing up with guns and this guy's charging at them with with a knife. What happened in, in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I, I think it was Philadelphia. In oh. um, in Massachusetts, they have a jail diversion program, which, if I remember correctly, a uh, licensed mental health counselor or social worker will ride along with police when they respond to um, various incidences like that. And um, because they have sort of a specialist right there, the specialist can 
if it's safe, do an assessment and make a referral that the police can then put this person into the pipeline for so that they don't have to incarcerate an individual who may be better served by getting treatment for something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, shoot. One final question. What can parents do and how can parents spot their children when they're when they're just starting to go astray? What can parents do to communicate and connect with a child that they just can't? Fantastic question. Um, I'm going to well, all right. So there's a long answer and the short answer. The slightly longer answer is that that kind of thing starts when your kid is born. Um, the most important age range for connecting with a child is the first three years. And sometimes unintentionally, parents will tend to be dismissive of those years because they'll think, well, the kid, we can't talk. So how much can we really connect and communicate? Um, but so much of communication, as we know, even as, as adults, is nonverbal. Um, it's body language, it's cues, it's the energy someone gives off. Um, and kids, kids read that. They can't articulate it, uh, even young children, but they can read it very much and they need it. They need it desperately. The first three years builds the relational collateral, especially for the rest of that child's uh, relationship with their parents. Now, if the first three years didn't go stellar, are things beyond recovery? Absolutely not. But uh, we may have to practice what's called like remedial parenting, so to speak. The, the emphasis, regardless of the age range, and bearing in mind, I'm not a family therapist, but from what I've seen and what I've been trained with, uh, the emphasis should always be on connection, not correction. There's a place, there's a place for correction. Kids mm -hmm. don't know everything. And there's a lot to learn. But when we put the emphasis on correct behavior and best results, the relationship often gets sacrificed because we're more likely to be snide or critical or sarcastic or sometimes just savage. And in, in, even if only verbally. But, you know, the saying goes, sticks and stones will break my bones or words will never hurt me. <laughs> I have had so many individuals I've worked with over the years tell me, you know what, Brian, the bruises heal, but the words, they linger. And they don't always go away. So I guess I would say if your kid's starting to have a rough time, first of all, take them seriously. Never, ever, ever be contemptuous or dismissive of what your kid's going through. Even if it's something small in your perspective, it, it's their world and it's where they're at. So being able to demonstrate accurate empathy and compassion to your child is huge. Secondly, Always make regular time to connect with your child. It doesn't mean you have to helicopter parent them. Um, quality time is important, not just quantity, because we have work, we have responsibilities, but make mm. intentional efforts to connect with your child. Thirdly, you are not your child's friend, by which I mean their peer. Um, as your child grows, the relationship will become more and more like a friendship and like a peer relationship. That's healthy. And certainly we should be friendly towards our children. Um, but they need a parent, which means they need a mentor, someone who is mentor and guide and corrector. But more than that, someone who unconditionally has their back. It doesn't mean they approve of everything that they do. My mom put it to me really, really well once when I was misbehaving and I was sent to my room. 
or whatever. I left a little note on her desk that says, you don't love me anymore. And she, yeah, it's one of those cute, I was like five. Um, and she, she came to me later and she, she said, I will always love you. I didn't like what you did and I won't always like what you do, but I will always love you. And that has always, always stuck with me. That I, in a nutshell, I think is what, what, what is most important. Now, things are going to get in the way of that. And that's why it requires intentionality and it requires being willing, I think, as parents to let some things go, let some opportunities pass to whether it's, you know, we might have a possibility for a better job with a better income. But if that income comes at the cost of quality time with children that, that they desperately need, well, I don't want to judge anyone's financial situation. Some things are just as important as money. Well, the way that I look at that, Brian, okay, you may be you may be cutting time with your child to make more money now, but what's going to end up happening is that money that you're making now is going to go right back into your child with court costs, uh, just things of everything of that nature that comes with the, right. the, the neglect that the child grew up with. And mm-hmm. that's, you have to look at it that way. It's, 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 you, you attack the problem now and make sure that it doesn't mm-hmm. become a problem, you know, because the opportunity for success is always mm-hmm. going to be there. And we have to know that we have to not be so quick to, to sacrifice important things for money. Like you said, you know, because if the opportunity, if you have opportunity to make money now, right. you'll have opportunity to make money tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. it's always going to be there, but the child is not, we only have one, one, one stretch of this. And like you say, every day that passes, is a day that's gone, you know? So Brian, man, this was such a great Well, thanks for having Thank me. So and, much, uh, I really appreciate that this was back and forth. I, I apologize. I guess I thought for, it was going to be more one-sided, but I very much, I like dialogue. I appreciate dialogue much better. So thanks for not only answering my questions, but being so, uh, so forthright and honest. I have a ton of respect, not only for your answers, uh, but for your forthrightness, for your courage, and the fact that you're doing this. I mean, these kinds of conversations that people can listen to and reflect upon, uh, these are fantastic. I mean, I think this is how we start to affect meaningful and lasting change in things. So I wish you the best of luck with this stuff. Keep doing it, man. Keep doing it. Man, I appreciate it. That's that's, that's beautiful. And, and we need it. You know, like I say, we're I'm sitting around and I'm seeing discussions happen. You know, I, I listen, my wife more, more than I, she's, she's more, uh, uh, more of a, a studious person than I, you know, so she can sit here and listen to these two and three hour lectures from George yes. Peterson and, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Joe Rogan and these guys. So I catch them in, in clips, but, but the thing of it is, is that, these discussions need to happen more, like you say, but I'm not hearing the right discussions mm-hmm. when it comes to prisoners mm-hmm. and, the, and the drug problem and, and the, the, the mental problem that's going on in America and what's, what's spawning that. Yeah. You know, quickly, real quick, I, the, philosophy, the, the philosophy that I've applied to my life and what helped me deal with my trauma and is what helping me deal, because every day for me I'm dealing with this, is... Doing legal work inside, I realized that when an error in the court occurs, everything that's behind that error is also an error. 
you have to go back to the original error and correct mm-hmm. that error to write the course. You know, and, and when I started applying that to every aspect of my life, you know, it, it changed everything because now I'm going back to the original error and, and course correcting from there. And everything just starts falling into place. So that's what we got to do, man. You know, I, I would love to have you back on again, partner. This has been great. Mm-hmm. I love the conversation. If 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 you want to have a conversation with me, like, you know, I got I, I got questions for you. Just reach out to me and say, you know what? I got questions and I'll bring you on and, and let you ask away because at this, I'm here to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help you learn. You know, I, I'm, I'm a criminal minded person, you know, so, so I have a lot of, I have a lot of, of experience I can share. And that's, that's what I'm here for, you know? So if you want to pick you, my Thomas. brain, I'm here for I appreciate for you, that very much. And thanks again for having me on the show. It's been a great time. Great conversation. Absolutely, man. Thank you. You too. Stay Take safe care and God bless. Family, okay. Please. All right. Bye bye.